Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. You know, the Bible says about Jesus that he grew in stature and he grew in wisdom, right? So it stands to reason that as we grow taller, you know, we should be also increasing in wisdom. Is that right? You know, as we put some years on our lives, we should be growing in wisdom. I know it doesn't always work like that, but for real, a 19-year-old should be, should be wiser than a seven-year-old. Like I said, it doesn't always happen, but, and a, and a, and a 40-year-old should be smart, wiser than a 20-year-old. And a 60-year-old should be wiser than a 40-year-old because we should be growing in these things. We should be growing in wisdom. Amen? The Bible says in Proverbs 4, 7, that wisdom is the principal thing. This is the King James Version I'm reading right now. It says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. In the English, the ESV, it says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> the beginning of wisdom is get some. <laughs> that would be a good beginning. And whatever you get, get insight. It's interesting that the Bible puts the responsibility for seeking after wisdom on us. So today, I'm going to go back to our, uh, our book of James, our study in the book of James. This is actually the third week in the book of James, even though we actually started probably six weeks ago. But uh, we, we've had some different, uh, different uh, guests preach. How many of you guys enjoyed Rick's, Rick, speaking, <laughs> Rick speaking last week? It was a sweet service last week, wasn't it, too? How many of you guys really felt the presence of God in the, in the service? It was sweet. It was a really great time. I know God was doing things in our hearts and, uh, and uh, just all, he's all, the Holy Spirit's always working, right? He's always working for us. He never stops working. Like the song says, you never stop, you never stop working. He's always working. He's always working. But uh, today, uh, I'm going to pick up the next phase in James. A couple of weeks ago when I introduced James, I said James is about hooking our faith, what we say we believe, with our actions so we can get traction to move forward in life. And uh, two, three weeks ago, three weeks ago now or four, I can't remember. <laughs> you can figure it out. But I, I was speaking about um, trials, if you'll remember. And I said, the book of James is about getting our inner life and our outer life all in alignment with God so that we can be consistent through and through and so that we can express what's on the inside of us. You know, when you shoot a rifle, you've got a front sight and you've got a rear sight and you've got to put both of those sights on the target. If either one is off, you're going to miss the target. And so we've got, you know, our inward man and we've got the outward man. We've got the things we say and we've got inside the things we really believe. And we need to line those up in accordance with God, with what he has for us. And when we live that way, we're transparent and open before God. We're, we're, we're pure. Pure means one thing. We don't have complications, you know. I, I've, I uh, used to say it like this not too long ago. I realized that God wants me to live just one layer deep. Do you know what I mean by that? Like a kid, one layer deep. We need to be that simple and pure before God, just one layer deep, so that if somebody could cut you open and look inside of you, they just see the same thing all the way through. 
And that's how we wanna live before God. So James is about getting us to that place where our inner man and what we say we believe out here and what we really believe in here are in alignment with God. And when we do that, boy, it's a much easier time to express God in a situation. He has a much easier time flowing through us because there's no hindrances. And so that's what James is about. Today, I'm going to the next, um, the next uh, topic in chapter one. And uh, I'll actually be reading from chapter one, verses five through eight, and also chapter three, verses 13 through 18. And I'm going to speak to you today about wisdom. It says in James chapter one, verse five, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So if any of you lacks wisdom, so this implies that not everybody has wisdom. Like I needed to tell you that. But it's interesting, the Bible recognizes that not everybody has wisdom. We shouldn't assume that everybody has wisdom or that everybody even has the same degree of wisdom because it's possible to be a Christian and trying to follow God and you lack wisdom. That's why James says, if any of you lack wisdom, what's the answer? Let him ask God. Let him ask God. So if we don't have wisdom, it's either because we don't know to ask or we don't really want it when we do ask. So let me answer this question before we go too far. What is wisdom? When James tells us to ask God for wisdom, what is he telling us to ask for? If you'll remember in the book of Exodus, when they were building the tabernacle and the priestly garments and all of those things, uh, the Bible says that there was this man, his name was Bezalel. And uh, it says that God filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship. That's Exodus 35, 31 from the New American Standard Bible. I usually read out of the ESV, but uh, I'll have a few verses today from the New American Standard, just because the New American Standard is a little bit more consistent in, in uh, interpreting this word wisdom. And he put the spirit of wisdom in this man so that he could do the work that he needed to do to craft the tabernacle. Isn't that interesting? See, it, it, it's not, it was wisdom to actually do something. Look at Exodus 28, verse three. God told Moses, you shall speak to all the skillful people whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may serve as a priest to me. God gave these people the spirit of wisdom so that they actually had the ability to do something. See, we kind of think of wisdom as that guy up on the hill, you know, the, the, the monk or whatever. And you're like, you know, what's the secret to whatever? And it's like, the answer is within you, you know? The guy up on the hill telling riddles is not what true wisdom is. Biblical wisdom is very, very practical. It's wisdom to do something. And that's why to the Jews, wisdom really was about no, what, not just knowing what to do, but being able to do it. Wisdom was doing the things that you knew to do. You can search this out. Uh, the Vines um, Expositor's Dictionary uh, uh, brings this effect of wisdom out. They are filled with wisdom so that they can do something. It's, it's knowing what to do and being able to do it. It's the ability to make the right choices at the right time. That's wisdom. 
The wise man or the wise woman in the Bible was the one who lived their life in accordance with what God wants. They were able to know what God wants, able to live out that lifestyle. That's biblical wisdom. To be wise, biblically speaking, is to have mastered the art of living before God. There's an art to living, isn't there? And if you can do that before God, you're a wise man in the eyes of God. Wisdom is knowing how to do what you know to do. That's why I've heard it said over the years that wisdom is the ability to apply or to use knowledge. Have you ever heard that definition of it? You know, you have knowledge, you can know things, but wisdom is the ability to use what you know and actually do something with it, to apply it to your life. Wisdom is applied knowledge or knowing how to apply knowledge or even the act of applying knowledge itself, right? You know, when people say to you, well, now when you're stepping out to follow God and you're trying to rearrange your life in accordance with what, what, what God wants and they look at you and they say, well, now use wisdom. <laughs> That's not what they're talking about usually, is it? They're really just trying to tell you have a plan B somewhere. <laughs> just in case this crazy faith idea doesn't work out, you better have a plan B. <laughs> That's, That's not what God's talking about either but he's talking about your ability to so arrange your life that is in accordance with what God would have for you. That is biblical wisdom. So a way to say it would be this, wisdom is how you do things. So if wisdom is how you do things, then godly wisdom is how God does things. Think about that. Godly wisdom is how God does things. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heaven. Isn't that interesting? He made the earth by wisdom. It's the wisdom of God at work. It's how God does things. Wisdom, another thing about wisdom is this. Wisdom is proven by what it produces. I'm gonna jump over to James chapter three now. If you'll go there with me, chapter three, verse 13. It says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Listen to this, by his good conduct, say conduct. Let him show his works, say works, in the meekness of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works. Wisdom is proven by what it does, what it produces, by what you do with it, amen? So the wise man is able to demonstrate the wisdom of God by what he does by his works. If wisdom is how you live before God and the wise man is the one who honors God by how he lives, then wisdom is demonstrated and it's shown in a person's conduct by what he does, his works, his actions. How else could Jesus say this in Luke 7, 35? Remember he said, wisdom is, is a, it's a neat phrase. He says, wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is justified by all her children. What do you think that means? I looked it up in the Amplified. Listen to how it reads. It says, yet wisdom is vindicated and shown to be right by all her children, by the lifestyle, moral character, and good deeds of her followers. Wisdom is proven by what it produces in your life. The New Living Translation says, wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. Do we live a life? Do you live a life? Do I live a life that demonstrates God's wisdom? 
we can because what we have to do is ask for it. The CEV says that wisdom is shown to be right by what its followers do. Shown to be right by what its followers do. And finally, the message, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. <laughs> the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That's the real spiritual translation, I know. Yeah. Have you never read the Message Bible? If you've read the Message, if you've read the Message Bible, that would not surprise you at all. So to have godly wisdom is to be able to live a life before God in such a way that he can display his character through you. We want God to be able to display our character through us. We want to be in, again, in alignment, inner man, outer man, in tune with God where he can just live freely through us. Amen. You know, I think uh, even the miracles that Jesus could perform. If you'll, you'll remember that, um, no, you think about this. Nobody ever cooperated with God more than Jesus. Nobody ever had his life more in tune with God than Jesus, amen? So look at Mark 6, 2. And he says, on the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get all these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? You see that? King James says it like this. What wisdom is given, this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Jesus had the wisdom of God. Doesn't the Bible say Jesus has been actually, is the wisdom of God? Yeah, so here's Jesus and God, he's so in tune with God, he's so manifesting and displaying the good fruit of wisdom that this stuff is flowing out of him naturally. You know, faith is how you order your life before God. Wisdom is right along parallel with that, isn't it? The wisdom of God is the ability to order my life before God. It's no wonder that Paul could say this in 1 Corinthians 12, 22, that the Jews ask for a sign and Greeks ask for search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than mankind and the weakness of God is stronger than mankind. The foolishness of God is wiser than mankind. Go back to James chapter three and I'm gonna pick up here uh, 13 through 15. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, listen, but if you have bitter jealousy selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from the Father, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So James is telling us about two kinds of wisdom. There are two kinds of wisdom in the book of James. There's the godly wisdom that comes down from above. And then there's earthly wisdom, which he says is actually spiritual or unspiritual, isn't that interesting? Unspiritual and demonic. Unspiritual and demonic. You would think demonic would be spiritual, but negative, right? But he's saying it's unspiritual and demonic. Can we really be full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and believe that we're serving God? I know James is hard, isn't he? 
<laughs> it's hard. He takes you apart, makes you look at this stuff. Is it possible to have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and believe that you're really serving God? Could this unspiritual demonic stuff be in the life of a Christian? How about in a church? Can it be in a church? Or can it be in church leadership? I mean, you expect it in the world. You expect it where you go to work. Ambition and, you know, jealousy. That's normal, but should it be in the church? Should it be in a life of a Christian? James is straight to the point, isn't he? But listen to this. Jesus says, he's warning the disciples in John 16, verse two. He says, they're gonna put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. He's, okay, listen, this is not the communists. This is not the socialists. This is religious people killing you, thinking that they're doing God a favor. And he says that they'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. There is no place for this kind of stuff in the church. There's no place for this kind of stuff in the life of the believer. Do you remember when Jesus rebuked Peter? Don't lose your place in James if you have a little bookmark thing. Keep it there. But go to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. See if I can flip there without my Bible flopping off the end here. Matthew chapter 16. So in, in, in around verse 13, it picks it up where, where Jesus is asking the, the question to the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, you know, and then he turns and says, what do you about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter gave that answer. You are the Christ, the son of God, right? So, and he gives on, goes on, he says, blessed are you, Simon, uh, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So, I mean, Peter is getting straight line revelations from the father in heaven, right? I mean, he is connected. He is hearing from the throne at this point, is he not? He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. I mean, Peter is connected. He's got the main line to God. You know what I'm trying to say? He's hearing from God. Peter is being a spiritual man here. He's hearing, but it's the very next paragraph. When Peter takes him aside and says, Lord, uh, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna be crucified. He says, Lord, that's not gonna happen to you. And G uh, Jesus turns to him and he says, um, verse 23, he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> get behind. He went from hearing to God, connected to the Father, to being called Satan <laughs> in a paragraph. I don't even know what to make of that. Because, <laughs> you know, we want to, man, you, you know, you get an answered prayer and, and you're feeling so connected to God. But I mean, it doesn't mean that we can't have these things in our lives. We need to be aware. We need to take the warning serious because we can be connected to God one minute and the next minute, <laughs> Jesus turn around and look, he say, get behind me, Satan. And then listen to what he says. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. You're thinking like a man. You're not looking at things from heaven's perspective. You're looking at things from an earthly perspective. That's not only a hindrance to me, but it went so much that Jesus recognized the source and he said, get behind me, Satan. So thinking like a man is thinking like a devil. 
man's wisdom is devilish. It's called natural wisdom. It's not the wisdom that comes from above. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that is worldly wisdom. It's thinking like a natural worldly person, which James says is not spiritual, but it's demonic. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And here's the point I want to bring out. We need to not think of God's wisdom as man's wisdom, but more of it. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, here we are, we're growing in wisdom and we get up here, but you know, where would Solomon be? Solomon would be here, you know, because he was the wise man. But where would God's wisdom be? Oh, it would be way up here because it's so much beyond our wisdom. You know, but God's wisdom is not like our wisdom, but more of it. Okay, God's wisdom is different from our wisdom. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Take care that no one deceives himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool. He must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. It's foolishness. So God's wisdom is not our wisdom, but more. God's wisdom turns our wisdom on its head. You understand? When you're following God and you're walk, walking in the wisdom of God, people might think you're a nut. <laughs> people might think you are crazy because it doesn't work with worldly wisdom. How can you lay down and let them treat you like that? You're letting them walk all over you. I don't have to defend myself. The real danger there is a real danger, rather, of having the wisdom of the world and not realizing it and thinking we're operating in godly wisdom. And that's what James does. He takes it apart and he lets us look at it. Uh, there is a real danger. Um, you know, may, maybe insisting on your own way, for instance. Maybe that's not the wisdom of God after all. Maybe standing up for your rights, like I said, you know, your privileges for your, you know, don't let them do. Maybe that's not the wisdom of God after all. Maybe building walls or cliques, you know, shutting people out. Maybe that's not the wisdom of God after all. You know, worldly wisdom says, hey, take care of you and take care of your family. Godly wisdom says, yeah, and also take care of somebody else's. Mm -hmm. Worldly wisdom says, do what's best for me. But godly wisdom says, do what's best for somebody else. See, it doesn't make any sense. The world will think you're crazy like this. But you'll be, you'll be godly. And that's better. Amen. The worldly wisdom is upside down and backwards when you hold it up next to God's wisdom. Stay there, little stick. I might need you again. I don't know. So James continues, uh, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists... There will be disorder in every vile practice. That's James chapter 3 and verse 16. Where these things exist, the jealousy and selfish ambition, there's disorder in every evil practice. In other words, there's a, if you see this stuff, jealousy and selfish ambition, you can know that every evil thing is going on. Is that what it says? Every and things and evil things being done. 
That's pretty strong, isn't it? It's kind of like this, you know, the thing, um, we're getting into the fall, the weather's turning cool. Pretty soon you're gonna start seeing the Christmas lights going up, right? Yeah, you know, and so when you see the Christmas lights starting going up, you can know for sure that Thanksgiving is on the way. <laughs> and where you see jealousy and selfishness, you can know that there's disorder in every evil work. The New International Reader's Version says this, are you jealous? Are you concerned only about getting your head? Then your life will be a mess. I like the kids' version sometimes. It just says it so plainly. Are you concerned only about getting ahead? Then your life will be a mess. You will be doing all kinds of evil things. So I got to ask you this. What do you think James is really trying to do? Why is he trying to be so direct? And why is he so hard? Carolyn? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I'm so, yeah. <laughs> Why is he being so tough? The reason that James can speak so directly to us is because he really believes in the power of God to transform your life. James believes in the power of God to transform your life. He wants us to come to a place of honesty, first with ourselves and also with God, so that we can step into the grace of God. Because lying to ourselves keeps us on the outside. Being honest with ourselves, honest with God brings us into the grace of God where he can work through us and flow through us. And we can line ourselves up with him and we can actually express him and do some good on the earth. You know, that spirit of God that we carry, we need to know how to let him out. And sometimes we keep him locked up inside. Praise God, you're saved. Praise God, you're going to heaven. But are we doing any good? Are we living lives that are open and flowing? Is that river that Jesus prophesied about, is that something that's really, we're experiencing our lives, that rivers of living water flowing from our bellies? It should be. And James is helping us to get there. James wants us, he wants us to receive God's grace. He's not trying to say, if you're not doing this, you dirty rascal, you need to dry harder. <laughs> he really believes in the power of God to change a life. He really does. Look at, let's go back to James chapter one. He says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is verse five, the one I opened with, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It means he doesn't look down on you. He doesn't criticize you just because you ask. Oh, there you come, you stupid thing, <laughs> finally asking for wisdom. It's not God's attitude at all. We get like that. We can't make God like our own, you know what I mean? We would like, well, I've been waiting for you to ask. <laughs> you know you need it from me. God's not like that. He gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him, and it says verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the seed that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, when we hear that, let him ask in faith with no doubting. We've been taught to think that, that not doubting is to be confident that God will give, right? And that's, that's fair, okay? But what, what I think James is really saying here is he's saying, when you ask in faith, you don't double back you make sure that this is something that you really want. You make sure that you're not being double-minded. You make sure that you're not saying something with your lips, but inside you really want something else. That's what he's saying. The, the King James actually says, no wavering. Let him ask the Lord, not wavering. 
So we need to go after these things wholeheartedly without wavering. The Phillips translation brings this out. Listen to how he brings it up. But he must ask in sincere faith without secret doubts as to whether he really wants God's help or not. The man who trusts God, but with inward reservations, is like a wave of the sea, carried forward by the wind one moment and driven back the next. That sort of man cannot hope to receive anything from God. And the life of a man of divided loyalty will reveal instability at every turn. He wants us to come to God with our whole person in agreement that this is what I want. I want your wisdom. And when I ask like that, God gives it. Simple as that. It's amazing how we live so multi-layered deep, isn't it? You know, we're, we're the only people who, I don't know, maybe you can't. I mean, everybody I talk to can have conversation. You, you guys could probably explain this. You've studied this. I can have a conversation with myself in my head. <laughs> I have the ability to stand outside and look at myself somehow. I don't know, I don't know how that all works. But even the psalmist said, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's having a conversation. He's, he's writing a psalm to his soul. <laughs> bless the Lord, O my soul, you know, and forget not all his benefits. He's telling himself what to do. We have these, you know, multiple dimensionalities in our person. But when we are 100% sold out and in line with God, then heaven can flow through us. James is totally convinced in what he's saying. And that's why he says it so strongly. He's totally convinced because himself had not always been a believer. So he believes in the power of forgiveness because he's received forgiveness. He believes in that Jesus can change your life because his life has been changed, okay? Let me show you this. Go to John chapter seven. I'm gonna read you verse one through five, okay? Because remember that James was Jesus's, what we would call a half-brother, okay? Because he had four brothers. After, you know, after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had four, uh, four more boys and several girls, it sounds like. And um, it says in John 7, verse 1, that after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Okay, so Jesus wouldn't go to Judea. Why? Because the Jews were trying to kill him. Verse 2, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Verse three, so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea. What are they telling him to do? Okay, he's not going to Judea because in Judea, they've got a mark on him. They want to kill him. His brothers are telling him, hey, here's an idea. Why don't you go to Judea? <laughs> okay, you think your family's bad. <laughs> it's good to know Jesus came from a fairly dysfunctional family. His brother said, leave here and go to Judea. Go get yourself killed. And they go on so that your disciples may see that your works that you're doing for no one works in secret if he wants to be known openly. Verse five, for not even his brothers believed in him. They were mocking him. They didn't believe in him. I said, why don't you go to Judea? They're trying to kill him over there. That's messed up. Look at Mark chapter three, verse 20 and 21. It says, Jesus went home and a crowd gathered again 
so that they could not even eat. So Jesus is there. You know, the crowds are always following him and pressing in on him. He couldn't even eat. Verse 21, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. See, Jesus had some family issues, <laughs> did he not? His family did not believe. And then Mark chapter 6, verse 1, he went away and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, so his hometown is, he'd be going back to Nazareth at this point. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What wisdom is given to him? How are such mighty works being done by his hand? We read that verse earlier. Verse three, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town among his relatives and his own household. Talk about, I mean, this isn't just a little bit of dishonor. They despised him. They did not believe. James was not a believer and he wasn't even nice. He wasn't even nice. So what kept James from believing? Was it familiarity with Jesus? When he saw the crowds coming and following him, was he jealous or something? When he saw, you know, people get healed or have a miracle, did he think that they were hypocrites or something? You know what I mean? Did he see hypocrisy in those who were following Jesus maybe that turned him off? You know, he saw the miracles firsthand. You know, maybe he was more concerned about keeping the status quo. Maybe it was political. You know, because that was the big fear of the Jews that people would start following him and then the Romans would come in and, you know, take the country back because they had this political thing worked out with Rome where like, hey, I know we're not completely free, but we're able to worship at the temple. Don't mess up. Don't upset the balance of power. We're comfortable. Leave it alone. We don't want these crowds following him and they thinking Jesus is about to do something bad. I don't know, but better question is what keeps you from believing? Is it familiarity with Christians that, you know, make you say, no, I don't want to go that way? Or hypocrisy of church people? Or maybe you just don't want to mess up a mostly comfortable life? But there's another step for all of us to take into the things of God. Amen? But look at this, Acts chapter 1, 13 and 14. This is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. Do you know who's in the upper room with the apostles? Do you know who's among the 120? Acts chapter 1, 13. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. And then it lists the disciples. And verse 14, all of these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. James is in the upper room. James believes in the power of God to transform a life because his life was transformed. He's not just being a jerk. <laughs> He's telling us this stuff because he went through this and he had to get real with himself and real with God. He believes in the power of the Holy Spirit because he experienced the Holy Spirit. So he says that if you will ask God, he will give you wisdom because he has received wisdom from God. But you got to want it, not just say you want it. You got to want it. Your inner life is every bit as important as your confession before God. 
your inner life is just as, maybe even more important because your inner life can undermine what you're saying because your actions and the things that you experience in your life come out of your heart. So your inner life is important. James knows that if you will come to God in openness and honesty, if you come as a whole person, your inner life and your outer life agreeing that God will give you the wisdom you're asking for. Proverbs 2.6 says that the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.16, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So is there something in your life that needs fixed? Can God fix it? Can God fix a broken relationship? Can God fix the marriage? Can God bring back a kid who's, yeah, he can, but probably not like this. It'll probably be more like this. Maybe the things that you've been doing trying to make it work are the very things that are making it worse. Maybe it's time to give that to God and let him work in your life. Can God change a heart? Can he take a heart of stone and make it a heart that's sensitive to him? Sure he can, but it probably isn't going to happen like this because the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Amen. Can God build a church without strife and with impartiality the way it talks about in the book of James? Sure he can, but it's not going to make sense. We're going to have to go against some conventional wisdom if we're going to step into godly wisdom. Amen. So in closing, I want to read this. But the wisdom that is from above, James 3.17, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Listen to that. It's first pure. What's pure mean? No mixture. One thing, the same all the way through. If you have, you know, a... a uh, um, pure gold. You cut that thing open, it's not fake. It's gold all the way through. If your heart's pure before God, it's one thing all the way through. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. Worldly wisdom is not open to reason. Worldly wisdom thinks it's got it all figured out and don't talk to me because I'm smart and I'm the boss and it's my decision. If you're unreasonable, that's probably not. If people can't come to you and question you, doesn't mean they're right. doesn't mean you're wrong. But if you're not open to it, that's not godly wisdom. It's full of mercy. Come on, mercy. You've got to give one another grace and mercy. You've got to give yourself grace and mercy. Godly wisdom is filled with mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Father God, we come to you and we ask you for this wisdom. Father God, I want to operate in this kind of wisdom. I want my life to be filled with this kind of wisdom. I want to live such a way that you can just flow through me, that you can meet the needs of people in my life. Father God, I thank you for this message. I thank you that I know it's serious. I know it's not always a, a, a jump around kind of message, but boy, oh boy, if we will do these things, it will take our lives just light years, leaps forward into the kingdom of God. 
So Father God, move upon our hearts, Lord. Let us see areas where we've maybe yielded to selfish ambition and things that are not from heaven, things that are from the earth, Lord, and help us to to change our thinking in Jesus' name so that we can step into this world, that we can represent the kingdom, that we can be carriers of the gospel, carriers of the glory, carriers of the power of God in this world, Lord. Lord, you have an answer for everything going on in this world, Lord. We wanna let you, we wanna be the kind of people that you can answer this world through. (laughs) We wanna be people who are the solution, not part of the problem, amen? So Father God, convict us, open our minds, help us to see these things and help us to step ever further in to godly wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.